Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at one part of one verse. Some of you are like, wow, it's going to be short. Not really, because there's a lot of stuff in there. So that's why I'm just trying to jump into this as quickly as possible. And that's the beauty of God's Word. A lot of times we skip through so many things, but if you really meditate on even a, a phrase or a sentence or even a one word, as you study that word uh, through scriptures, you realize there's so much that God wants to speak to us about. Um, and we're going to start this whole new series, this two-part series, short, as we get ready for Christmas. And it's, it's pretty much called Marvelous, and I'm going to explain why we're going to call it that. So Hopefully today, as I mentioned, you will not leave here the same way that you entered in. May you experience God's grace, His love, the blessings that God has for you, and you can leave here a little bit more encouraged to transform the world. I wanted to start off as you're turning to that passage. I'm wondering, have any of you experienced a situation where things looked helpless or hopeless? There should be many students, and some of them, not are, they're not even here. You know, why did I procrastinate? Why did I not study? Because now we're coming to the end of the semester. For some of us, it might be in a situation where you might feel inadequate or you're, you're incompetent to do something. And so that you're stuck, whether it's at work or any situations, and you're feeling this helplessness or this feeling of hopelessness. Maybe you failed in something, and now you're wondering if things can really change. I think many of us know that feeling, especially when we fail and we think to ourselves, is this it? Are we going to get another opportunity to do something about it? Maybe you might have made a mistake and there are some major consequences that you're facing right now. And that's the thing. None of us want to face consequences. And some of us are sitting there kind of helpless and hopeless because of the situation that you're in right now. For some of us, it might be a situation that's completely out of your control. There was nothing that you did. It was a situation that was from external or outside forces from other people. And now you are in this situation and you're feeling as if there is no hope or feeling a bit helpless. And whenever I get this kind of feeling and some of us know, you know exactly the pain that goes into your heart. Uh, Some of you know that uh, I went to Korea several weeks ago. And one of the things, I had a meet, meeting in Itaewon, and so what I decided to do is stop by that place. As many of you heard on the news, the tragedy that happened in Halloween night with uh, hundreds of people passing away because of the trampling as they were in the small little alley. And, you know, you see it on the news, but it's completely different when you see it live, in person. I could not imagine how s- small that alleyway was. To think that there were hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people gathered in that small space. To think about some of the sharp stones and edges that are there. uh, Just thinking about how many people being trampled upon. And so uh, it really was sobering. In fact, there was a a protest there. Something about human nature. We love protesting. So they had a protest there. And I saw so many of these uh, police officers in these neon green. And I thought I was in Hong Kong. I mean, it was like lit up. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so I kind of moved closer and just listening to what they were uh, protesting about. And then I went through the back just because there were so many people gathered. I couldn't really see anything. So I went all the way to the back. 
And then when I went to the back, I realized all along the way, on the main street to the side street, even in that alley, there is a memorial that they made, people made. And they just had post-it notes that all these things, but they covered it with vinyl plastic because it's getting colder and the rain but, and the snow. And it's, it's interesting because when, you, when you're looking at it, you cannot help but to think about some of the lives of these people. And so when I was just walking by, I decided to read some of the notes. And you could tell some of them must have been believers because there were some references to heaven or Jesus. And so I was kind of reading through some of these notes, and it was gut-wrenching. It was, it was difficult. And all of a sudden, as I was walking through that alley, there was a guy that actually came and stood exactly. He knew exactly where to go. Uh, it wasn't like he was looking around. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. He stood right in front of this one area, and he began to mumble to himself. I couldn't hear it very clearly, but he began to mumble. Here's a picture I want to show you that I took a picture of. So this, this whole, it's filled with these kinds of memorials, these notes. And he was standing right in front, and he was just speaking. And, and that's when I, it just hit me that this person probably loves, uh, lost somebody that they loved. And it was only about a month or so that has passed, but for this person to probably still go as often as he could after one month, you realize the sense of helplessness and hopelessness that this person must have been feeling. I think it's in these times where you need faith. The question you begin to ask yourself is, what am I putting my hope in? And this is where God still sends people and things our way to remind us that he's still for us. I want to show you this video. Some of you know Steve Harvey. He's a comedian. He's a talk host show in the States. He um, is, is a believer, um, and he's very bold about it as he shares. Not a perfect one, he says, but he believes in Jesus Christ. And he, whenever he has opportunities to share his faith in his show or in public, he does that. And there was one show that was for his birthday. And so that the whole staff, they decided to surprise him with different people would wish him a happy birthday and there was one person or a couple who actually appeared that really moved Steve Harvey and when I saw this I'm like this is a glimpse of what a person will feel and experience when they feel helpless and hopeless but they get a glimpse of hope in their lives so let's watch this together is that awesome Th that is a glimpse of hope when you're feeling hopeless. And you'll never forget it. Not only for Steve Harvey, but this is the joy when you're able to be a participant in offering God's hope to other people to see how blessed they are. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we learn how to give. That's why we learn how to serve. Because you see the joy of offering to other people who are in difficult situations. As we're approaching Christmas, I think it's very vital that we remember it's, it's more than getting all these presents. It's more than the songs. It's more than just hanging out with your family, even though all those things are very important.
but we have to understand the essence of this Christmas message in a way that is translated so that we can live our lives that is completely different from what we see in so many other people. And one of the themes that you will see all throughout the Christmas story in Scripture, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, where it prophesied about a Messiah that was to come, that it was about hope. That's one of the major themes about Christmas. It's about hope. And so as we remember Jesus' birth, His birthday, that one of the things that we have, cannot forget is that He is offering us hope. So that's why we're doing this two-part series called Marvelous as we prepare for Christmas. And so we're going to, let me just give you the definition. I want to first look at the Macmillan Dictionary uh, definition of the word marvelous. It says extremely enjoyable or exciting. Secondly, extremely good, impressive, or with many good qualities. The Webster's New World College Dictionary defines the word marvelous as this, causing wonder, surprising, astonishing, or extraordinary. Secondly, to so extraordinary as to be improbable, incredible, or miraculous. And the third is very good, fine, and splendid. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about a marvelous hope. Next week is Christmas Day, and I hope that all of you will come and even invite some of your family and friends. We'll share the gospel. That's one thing you could always be guaranteed. We will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that second part, we want to talk about a marvelous peace, especially in this chaotic world and even the turmoil that some of us are struggling with internally here in our hearts as well as mental health issues. We want to be able to bring peace, the, only the peace of Jesus Christ that can heal many of us. And so as followers of Jesus, we're praying that our hope and this peace that we have is not like the world's, but rather so different, so extraordinary, so astonishing, so surprising, so miraculous that it could transform your life. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, is that there are one thing is that when we go through life feeling hopeless, Jesus gives us hope that is matchless. So let's, let's remember that as I'm going to talk about this theme, is that when we go through life feeling hopeless, Jesus gives us hope that is matchless. So I want to talk about two things in this passage. And like I said, I'm just going to be looking at the first part of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Two things we must remember about Jesus' hope that is matchless, and it's going to help us through the times when we're feeling hopeless. Here's the first thing, that Jesus' hope brings certainty. That Jesus' hope brings certainty into our lives. You know, when we think about hope, I think it's important that we try to differentiate the worldly hope and how people understand it, and the biblical hope, that how we should understand it as followers of Jesus Christ. But here, here's the thing. And this is a, a gentle and a light rebuke to every single one of us in this room. If you really understand what hope is, you realize that many of us, there is no difference between how the world hopes and how we hope. Pastor, you're being so mean this morning. How do you know that? Well, all I have to do is look at your response. You have to look at the response. So here's two people, a believer and someone who's not, the same situation and the response will tell you if you have a biblical hope or if you have a worldly, secular hope. Do not assume just because you're a Christian, you have a biblical hope. It has to be trained. You have to develop this kind of biblical hope. 
And it takes time. It takes perspective. It takes maturity. So let me try to differentiate so that you understand what I'm saying here. When the world talks about hope, it, it, it is in the terms of a desire or a wish. So that is why we say things like, I hope it will get warmer. Amen? Some of you love your electric blankets. Oh, this is so nice. But you hear that. I hope it will get warmer. It's a desire or a wish. Some of us will say, I hope that I'll get married one day. And you always see that whenever you're in a wedding ceremony. Oh, I hope. Oh, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that. But I want to do that. Oh, I hope one day. It's a desire or a wish. Some of us might say, I hope my kids get into that good school. Because you know now they start really young. Not kindergarten, but even pre-kindergarten. Really young. So I hope my kid gets into that school. It's a desire or a wish. Or I hope I could eat good food and my mom will remember, remember me when I go home. There's so many different things that we desire and what we hope for. This is why I think when we try to put hope into this perspective, the focus is a lot on luck or trusting in our own abilities to make it happen. So look at our lives. I think many of us have a secular view or worldly view of hope. It is no different from the world. But genuine biblical hope is when you don't have control over things, but you are still able to fully trust in God and what, in what He says, even though you cannot see things happening. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1, and also in verse 6, and I'm going to read it from the message translation so it's a little bit more colloquial so you can understand it. And in the yellow sections, I want you to read it with me. Listen to what it says. It says this, the fundamental fact of existence is that what? This trust in God. So it's about trusting God. This faith, this is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. You cannot see it. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe. It is not a wish. It is not a desire. It is a belief. You believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. That's biblical hope. Completely different from how we understand. I hope that you fill in the blank. I love what Beth Moore said in her book, Whispers of Hope. She says this, the word hope in the Hebrew term literally means a cord or an attachment. Every one of us is hanging on to something or someone for security. We hold a knotted rope and depend on whatever it is on the other end to keep us from falling. Picture that rope in your hands. Then close your eyes and imagine looking up the rope and seeing the other end. Who or what do you see? As wonderful as that person or possession may be, if it's someone or something other than God alone, you're hanging on by a thread, the wrong thread, end quote. So think about that. What are you holding on to if that word hope in the Hebrew means a cord or something of an attachment? What is on the other side? This is the reason why so many of us have put our hope in the things of this world and we're disappointed. 
That's why some of us are feeling hopeless and helpless because it offered us something, but it did not deliver. Some of us, we don't even know it yet, but you're still holding on to something and wait until something happens. And then you'll realize, I have put my whole faith and trust into this person or this thing, and now my heart is broken. That's why as we look at verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, we have to understand the context of where this prophetic word was given. During this time, it was a very dark time for the Israelites. Some of you know the history of Israel, and it was divided into two kingdoms. There were there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the problem with the northern kingdom is that they were blatantly living in disobedience to God. They knew God's word, but they said, you know what, God? We don't need you. We got this. We're going to take care of this. And they gave in to every single one of their heart's desires. And so here's God seeing this, and he brings forth judgment through different enemies to come against the northern kingdom. And a lot of it was through, in this context, King Ahaz. Now the problem with King Ahaz is that he began to worship all the gods of Babylon and in that area of Assyria. And it was very clear, do not worship these gods. You should have no other gods before me. But he decided to offer pagan sacrifices to these gods. So in the midst of this dark time where people turned away from God, we see this prophetic word that's coming forth. We don't have time to look into it, but earlier in verses 1 through 5, before we approach verse 6, we see several prophecies that is pointed to a Messiah that was to come. And as we know, now looking back, we see that it was referring to Jesus Christ. I want to reference to this so that you have some idea of the times and the context before we read verse 6. We notice that there, there will be a light in the midst of darkness. We see this in verse 1 and 2, that they were living in darkness, both just in, in society as well as spiritually, they were living in darkness. So there's a prophetic word that there will be a light. In verse 3 and 4, you notice that there will be joy in the midst of weariness. When you're weary and doing things, sometimes you don't have joy, but the promise is the joy will come even in the midst of weariness. And then in verse 5, we see that there will be victory in the midst of weakness. That God will give the victory. So think about this. There's darkness, there's weariness, and now there's weakness. And then we come to verse 6. Now, before we do, I want you to pause here and think about how beautiful those five verses are and how they point to Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it for a moment. Because light shining in the darkness reminds us of what Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 12. I'm going to read it from the NIV, and please read the yellow section out loud with me. It says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this prophecy given many, many years ago, when Jesus appeared, we realized that he says, I am the light that would take away this darkness. Even the second part, the yoke of burden being broken off, the weariness. In Matthew chapter 11, we see Jesus saying the same thing. Listen to what it says. Come to me all who are 
weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So once again, these Israelite people living in darkness and this yoke upon their shoulders, burden, and Jesus comes and he says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And lastly, with the victory over the enemies, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 to 57. This is Apostle Paul speaking about Jesus Christ and what he did when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Listen to what it says. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the ultimate victory came when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So once again, what I want you to try to see here is a situation in Isaiah chapter 9 about the Israelite people as they were living in sin. There was darkness and weariness and weakness. And then we see that this is all pointing to a day when Jesus Christ will be born and he will come into this earth and he will live the perfect life that you and I could not live and that he will die on the cross for our sins and then we, he rose again from the dead so that we could have this hope. This is the powerful prophetic word that came thousands of years ago and we see now fulfilled through Jesus Christ. This is the context we now read verse 6. So let's go ahead and read verse 6. And as we're reading this, I want to just encourage us just to remember the context. So verse, uh, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I want to just pause here and talk about this. We notice that the gift of hope comes in the promise of a son who will be born and will be given to the people. Now once again, this prophetic word is pointing to the birth of Jesus. Earlier in chapter 7, not chapter 9, but chapter 7, we see that God promises to give a sign that the son was going to be born. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Listen to what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will, come on, say this, give you a sign. So once again, it's not something that it's mysterious, but there's going to be a clear sign. What is that sign that the Lord himself will present to the people? He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and what? Bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So this is the sign in the midst of all this darkness, weariness, weakness. There's going to be a sign. And what is that sign? That sign is clear. It's going to be a birth of a son that will come into this world. Now the question is, why is this so important? It is important because the birth of Jesus Christ is a gift. This is what you need to understand. As we're talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we have to understand that this hope, this birth of Jesus is a gift. Not only any ordinary gift, but it's a gift that people long for. And something else that I think some, we have to understand is it's not just words. That the gift that G God gave 
to us, Jesus Christ, it was in human form. I've always thought about this. God could have sent angels. God could have sent a, a, a goat, I don't know, or like a, a lion and declared that he's Jesus. But this God came in human form to demonstrate his love for us. That's why I love what the voice translation says of this verse 6. He says, hope of all hopes. Dreams of what? Our dreams. A child is born, sweet breathed. A son is given to us, a living gift. See, Jesus Christ is a gift. And it's a gift that you cannot earn. It's a gift that we, we, we don't deserve. It is something that God offers to us. And all we have to do to receive it is to have faith and believe that Jesus Christ came into this world given for us. And let me just pause here. I, I want to address many of us that I think it's, it's the problem that I see. As all of us are in Asia, you might not be Asian, but you're in Asia. And some of you can testify. But some of you who were born here in Asia, you lived in Asia. This is all you know. I think this idea of a gift and receiving it because you don't deserve it and you don't earn it, it, it really is foreign to many of us. Not to receiving a gift. You know that feeling. We all do. But to understand receiving something that you don't deserve, that you don't have to pay back. Or you give a gift and you don't expect them to give something back to you. And the reason why it is so difficult in Asia is because in Asia, everything is about works. Everything is about performance. This is why whenever you receive something, you feel this incredible burden to pay them back because you, you don't deserve it, but you, you feel like, I cannot take this or I'm going to have to give something back to them. It's all about works. It's a works paradigm. And the way you've been raised up, you carry this over now into your Christianity. That no longer is it that you don't deserve anything. You can't earn it. You can't perform for it. But God gives it to you freely because he loves you. Not that you're lovable, but he loves you because of who he is, because he is God of love. So what he did was he's given you the greatest gift of all, not because you deserved it or earned it, but just because of who he is for his glory. And somehow we get this mindset that we have to do something. And I think this is the reason why so many people, so many of you struggle even with your parents. And some of you who are parents in this room, you struggle with that with your kids. It's like you work so hard so that you can give your kids all that, that they could have. And so somehow you think to yourself, they, pay, they should pay you back. In the same way, some of you who know that feeling of your parents constantly telling you, oh, we're working so hard to get you to college and we gave you this kind of opportunity and they're saying so that you can take care of us later on. And so you feel this tremendous burden of trying to, whatever you receive from your parents, to pay them back. That's a works paradigm. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to give money to your parents, support them. That's great. But when you feel this burden to do it because you have to kind of pay them back, that's a works mindset. So we carry that over into Christianity, and this is the problem. All your identity, your security, your significance, 
all the things that Christ offers to us because of what he has done now becomes something that we do. The Bible reminds us we can't even love God, we're so sinful. But we can love because he first loved us. It's his work. It's his gift that we don't deserve. And some of you could be sitting like, oh, Pastor, we know this. Can you speed it up? Can you just, you know? But I want to just challenge you. Look at your life, how you live your life. See, you could know a lot of things. I, I, I'm realizing that. Some of you know a lot of things. You grew up in the church. You know a lot of things. But you know when someone knows something by how they live. Gratitude. Sensing this unworthiness. Being undeserved, but then God has lavished His love on us. What does it do to our heart? It melts your heart. It changes your heart. You want to love Him back. Not because you have to, but you want to. You want to serve. You want to be a part of His mission. It's not like, oh gosh, I have to do this again. No, that's a person who thinks that they deserve something or they're entitled to something. When you get to a place, when you say, God, I can't believe I get to do this. I get to serve alongside you in your work, your mission. That's when a person understands the gift. All throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us that the gift is not dependent on us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'm going to keep on encouraging us to participate as we read the yellow section. It says what? God saved you by His grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Look into a couple of these other colloquial translations. Once again, I give these translations so that it's easier to understand because it's talking in the modern terms. We can go into the Greek if you want, but we don't want to do that. You're going, huh? Okay, I, I want you to understand the thrust of what it's saying. Look, look at what it says in a different translation. The contemporary English version says this, you were saved by faith in God who treats us what? Much better than we deserve. Man, that, that's a powerful phrase. It's been a powerful phrase for me re recently. That God treats us much better than we deserve. Because if it was based on what we deserve, we would get nothing. L look what happened last night. Look at what you did this week. You don't deserve any grace. You deserve judgment and you deserve hell. And you deserve, deserve the consequences to be punished. That's what we deserve. But grace reminds us that he treats us so much more better than we really deserve. We don't deserve it. This is what? God's gift to you. And not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned. So there is nothing you can say or you can brag about. Here's another translation. The message translates. This is what it says. Saving is all his idea. So it, it, we didn't even come up with it. It's all his idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's what? God's gift from start to finish. From the beginning of it, in the middle of it, all the way to the end. It's God's work. We don't play the major role. We hate this. We want to be the star. Oh, I mean, we want to, we want to, oh, I don't know where that came from, but anyway, we want to, we want to be, those of you who don't know, I love opera, but anyway, we want to be the star. We want to be the main player. 
We want to be messy. Not the messy messy, but Lionel Messi. We want to be the star. If we didn't, we'll probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. Isn't that true? When you know that you're experiencing something good and it's not dependent on you. Listen to me. This is so important. That's why I'm spending extra time on this. When you are experiencing something good and it's not dependent on you, then you will experience a sense of freedom and gratitude. Listen to me carefully. This is something I was pondering upon through hours and hours and hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of counseling that I have done over the years. Just think about this for a moment. So I was just kind of writing down some some examples. What if you got an A on an exam not because of how hard you studied. So I'm like, I've never experienced that. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. If you got an A, not dependent on how hard you studied. You didn't even study. You, you did the, oh, okay, Lord, help me. You're powerful. You, you split the Red Sea. Split these pages. Get it into my brain. And you're going to go in there. <laughs> Some of you are still praying that prayer. It's not going to work. <laughs> How would you feel? You know, just the intellectual prowess is just oozing out of my mind. Are you kidding me? You'd be like, oh my God. Like, I don't know how I did it. It's, it's all God. See, it's always all God at the end, right? But in the middle, you're like, ah, but it's all God at the end. What if you got a promotion, not because you how great you have performed? How would you feel? Huh? Wow. Wow. I could tie more to the church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you feel when you know you were not that great this past quarter or this past year at work? <laughs> what if you got into a relationship not because of how great you looked? Some of us are experiencing that. Or some of us in the future. Yeah, sometimes I'm wondering, oh, what, what, what happened? It's the grace of God. I don't know, I just decided to stick a relationship in there. What if you got to baptize somebody or see spiritual fruit in someone's life that you invested in? Not because of how hard you try to serve or how hard you try to spend time with them. It was just God's work. What happens? Listen to me. I hope this will make sense. If you really think about this for a moment, all these just several examples that I gave, I believe there will be less anxiety, less self-centeredness, less pressure or less worry, and less condemnation, less guilt, etc. But the reason why some of you have all this anxiety and worry and guilt and self-centeredness because it's based on works it's about your performance it's about what you do or what you don't do when you know that everything that you receive is a gift and it's from God you don't deserve it then as you experience it your heart will be grateful and thankful and there will be no pride you don't have to be anxious because it's not on you 
You don't have to worry because God is in control and he's taking care of it. As long as you do your part and the best that you can do. But when you start feeling these emotions, I want you to understand it is coming out of, for some of us, this works paradigm that is not the gospel. So you can go to church all you want. You could read the Bible all you want. You could pray all you want. You could go to all the life groups every single Sunday, and you could still sit there as a practicing atheist because you do not believe that Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, it was a gift that you and I, we did not deserve. For unto us a child was born. And unto us a son was given. It's a gift. Not because of what we deserve. This is why we have to understand that the hope that Jesus brings, this kind of certainty into our lives, it is not based on what we do. It is purely his grace and his mercy. That's why the phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder, gives us a certainty. Because it is in reference to a king who will govern and who will rule over all the nations. This is Jesus. We know that the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, who will rule over all the nations, regardless of what's going on in this world, is Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the weight and the responsibility is upon his shoulders. It's God who's in control. When we go through life feeling helpless or hopeless, Jesus gives us a hope that is matchless. No one could compare to this kind of hope that is free, that's given to us, not because we deserve it, but it's been given to us by his grace. How about us this morning? In the midst of our stress and struggles, are you able to have this kind of certainty that comes when you receive the hope that only Jesus can give? Do you really have a grace-oriented paradigm that you know that everything that you have is a free gift from God. You don't deserve it. Or is it a works paradigm that causes a lot of anxiety and worry and guilt and self-condemnation? Are you free from these things? Because you're experiencing His grace. Jesus' hope brings certainty. Let me close with the second point. The second point is this. Not only does Jesus' hope bring certainty, but Jesus' hope builds confidence. It builds confidence. You know, when you, when you think about confidence, we feel like we have to try to generate something. Come on, come on, let's, let's, let's be confident, let's be confident. But too often, we find ourselves having a way overestimation of ourselves. So I decided to look through the internet and look through some memes. You know those, you, you know those posters, they have these posters, and some of them, they do it sarcastically, and it's supposed to be funny. But I was looking through these things, and this is what happens when you have overconfidence in yourself. And you're like, we can do it. I have confidence, you know, fighting or whatever, you know, jayo, uh, you know, so, so here's some pictures. I want to show you something. This is what we call overconfidence, all right? <laughs> this cow who somehow thought he was a horse or whatever the case might have been. I feel like this is some of us, we're like, ah, and we're stuck. Here's another one. I, it says overconfidence, overflowing optimism colliding with the true life experience. You can wear that helmet, you're still going to die. <laughs> Look at this one. This is, this, is, this is overconfident. Dude, man. It says, sorry, girls, I only date models. Dude, man, you got to first. Well, I, okay, I'll stop there, okay? That's why it's like these memes. 
Here's another one. <laughs> Ladies, if you ever see a guy do this, avoid. Stay away. But you got to admit, he's got some swagger, right? He's got some swag. He's trying to be really cool about it. But I don't know. But I like this one the best. She's like, come on, Al. I, I got this. <laughs> So where does genuine biblical confidence come from? As we're talking about the hope in Jesus Christ, because it is a gift that is given to us that we don't deserve. Listen to what Ryan Oda, a neighbor, said in his book, Beyond Tragedy. I think this is going to help us to understand this confidence. He says this, Ultimate confidence in the goodness of life can rest upon confidence in the goodness of man, or cannot rest upon the confidence in the goodness of man. If that is where it rests, it is an optimism which will suffer ultimate disillusionment. Romanticism will be transmuted into cynicism as it has always been in the world's history. The faith of a Christian is something quite different from this optimism. It is a trust in God, in a good God who created a good world, though the world is not good now or not now good, in a good God, powerful and good enough to finally to destroy the evil that men do and redeem them from their sin. This kind of faith is not optimism. It does not, in fact, arise until optimism breaks down and men cease to trust in themselves that they are righteous. What a powerful reminder. So many of our confidence is really a secular confidence. It is not a biblical one. This is why many of us, we think we're doing well, but you're not. Some of us, we think like, oh, I can never get there. But you know, you don't understand what biblical confidence, where it comes from. It is your faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. So that's why I want to read that last section once again. Because biblical confidence has to be rooted in our hope. And faith in Jesus Christ. And it's demonstrated by you and I through trust. Our trust in God. So listen to what it says in chapter 9 verse 6 again. It says this. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. And I'm going to look at the first two today and the next two next week. And finish off with verse 7. It says what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God. When you look at these two names, or these four names, we'll look at two today, is that these names are different titles personifying itself to the nature and the character of God. So when it says wonderful counselor, it is a descriptive of who this Jesus is, the son that has been given to us as a gift. When it says Almighty God, it is a description of who this Jesus Christ is as he's the Son of God. So let's look at these two things quickly here. The first thing is wonderful counselor. The word wonderful oftentimes is translated as exceptional or distinguished. So he is an exceptional and distinguished counselor. It is reference to something that is supernatural and out of the ordinary. In fact, it reminds us that God is our extraordinary counselor and guide. Can I ask you, who do you turn to to guide you and also for some wisdom? I realize that many of us, we turn to people, which is not a bad thing. But their human wisdom 
And depending on what they experience, it could be limited. But here we see that it's extraordinary. Through Jesus Christ, he is this counselor who will guide us. This is the reason why we have been stressing so often to make sure that when you make decisions that you are listening to the voice of God. Of course, you get counsel from other people. I'm telling you right now, some of us who still have a works paradigm, you are driven by guilt or what would they think about me? Or I want to try to please this leader or this pastor. And this is the reason why many of us, when we then make a decision, we get bitter. Because instead of hearing from God, you're hearing from other people because you're deeply motivated by this works paradigm because you want to try to please somebody or you feel guilty or you feel bad. That is something that I want to make sure that everyone in our church understands. You can come to me. You can come to Pastor Bo. You can come to some of our leaders for some input and some insights. But ultimately, you have to hear the voice of God. Can I also give you a little helpful thing? Rarely have I seen people make wise and smart choices when they're not walking with God. You haven't touched the Bible for months. You haven't even prayed for months. And all of a sudden, you have to make a decision, and here you are trying to make a decision, and I guarantee you it's going to be a very self-centered decision. That's why approaching that girl right now is not the wisest thing. But you have been walking with God, and so you feel like, oh, yeah, I think God is leading me. He's leading you to the toilet. I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you that as you do this, then all of it is about you. That is not a good condition for building a relationship that will last. And you see this time and time again, and it breaks the spirit of God. Now, I don't know some of you, but I'm not going to I'm going to speak to the cross. I hate Jesus. I'm going to be over here. Some of you have done this. Sorry, I'm just being really extreme right now. Because every time I look out, you go, you were talking to me, Pastor. No, I wasn't. I wasn't even looking at you. I was looking in your direction. That's why some of you, when you make decisions that are self-centered, it's all about you. Because you're not walking with God. You're not hearing from this wonderful counselor. What happens is it doesn't work out. Someone gets hurt and they leave the church. You broke the bond of peace in your selfishness and your self-centeredness. I see this all the time. We're not going to regulate your love life. That's a decision you make. But we do help you to understand we are all in relationships here. And whenever you do things just for yourself, you hurt people. And when you hurt people, after a while, either you're going to leave or they're going to leave or both of you will leave. So you then break the bond of peace and the community that we have in our church. It's not just relationships. Think about so many other decisions that you make. And it affects people. And you know that it affects people. It affects campuses. It affects your life group. It affects different things, your relationship with other people. But here you are. You have been reading the Bible. You haven't been close to God. You're not abiding. You're not remaining in Christ. So then who guides you? It's your heart, whatever that means. Oh, it's my heart. I can just follow my heart. You follow your heart. You know where you're going to go. Ah! Because your heart will fool you. So when you're not doing well, you're not walking with God, you're not hearing from God, then what governs your decision? It's you. It's your little world. 
And that's why this gift, Jesus Christ, that has been given to us, one of the descriptors of Jesus is that he is this wonderful counselor, extraordinary, distinguished, out of this world. It is different from what the world does. He is our counselor. That's why I like how later on in the book of Isaiah, it is mentioned about this guidance. And in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Why don't you read the yellow sections with me? It says this. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is what? Wonderful in counsel and what? Excellent in guidance. I don't know about you, but I, I really want a good GPS. Amen? When we were in Indonesia, when we started that church, uh, our family, one of the gifts that uh, some of the married people gave to us was a GPS. Now, this was like, how many years ago? 2009. So you can understand, 12 years, the technology has gone like, whoo, out the roof. But we were like, wow. Because you know why? I know why they gave it. It was out of a selfish motive that they gave it. Because we would drive, we're like, where are we? We'll call them up. Do you know where we are? They go, what do you see? Uh, a street? They're like, oh, God. It's so like, what are we going to do with this pastor's family, you know? So I think I, they were talking amongst themselves. Did he call you? Did he call you? Yeah, let's, let's get him a GPS and leave them alone. So we were so happy we got this GPS. So we got this GPS, you know, you plug in all the stuff, you put the street name, and, all, and guess what? It took for eternity for it to read and give us a route. So we will be driving, thinking to ourselves, like, oh, this will show up. But then it took forever. So then we got more lost. And so we had to call them up again. Hey, guys, uh, yeah, we were trying to use the GPS, but we're kind of lost. <laughs> they probably said, why did you give them the cheap model? You should have gotten the better one. <laughs> so that GPS was so bad. Like, literally, we were driving, like, 10 minutes into it. And we're like, forget it. We've got to pull over and wait until this thing downloads and is able to read. I'm sharing this because some of us, you want excellent counsel. And the, where excellent counsel comes from is your relationship with God. Time spent with Him. And that's why, as we understand Jesus is our wonderful counsel, it builds confidence in us so that we can put our hope in Him. Because He's not going to lead us astray. He will guide us along the way. The second thing is mighty God. The word mighty in the Old Testament has different meanings. But most of the time, it is in reference to power, in strength, or strong. It points to the fact that the power of God is unlimited, and all other power is derived from Him and subjected to Him. That's why in First Corinthians or First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine, this is soap from yesterday. So if you read it, then you'd be like, "Wow, there is power in soap." If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're like, "Oh, I gotta wash my hands." Anyway, this is what it says: First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine, verse eleven through thirteen. Listen to what it says: "Yours, O Lord, is what? Come on, the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head." Above all, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. This is the promise of God. This is why when it says God is a mighty God, Jesus Christ is this mighty God, he is there to what? His greatness and his power to work in us. That's why as a mighty God, 
He has the power to do anything to accomplish his purpose. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, in the ESV, this is a great reminder. Some of you know this passage well. It says this, Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth, and by what? Your great power. We see that word, almighty, mighty there. And then by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. What is it that you're facing? What is it that you're going through? that you need to experience the mighty God, His power, His strength? What is it that you're trying to make a decision on, which is going to offer this hope that can only come in Jesus Christ? Maybe you got to turn to this wonderful counselor. When we go through life feeling hopeless, Jesus gives us hope that it's matchless. No one compares to it. Jesus' hope builds confidence. And I think this is why the beauty of the gospel message is even evident with this prophecy. Because look around us. Look at your life. There's darkness, weariness, and weakness. And it's in this moment when you begin to realize that Jesus Christ during this Christmas season is a reminder that he gave his greatest gift, his son Jesus Christ. That if we can now embrace it, not because we somehow earned it or deserved it or performed for it, but God has given it to us freely that we don't deserve, that we receive this gift in faith, what it begins to do is that it will begin to build this confidence as we put our hope in Him. And that He died on the cross, and that He rose again from the dead on the third day, and you put your faith and trust in this gospel message, that you will see that God has been working, even from the beginning of time, to capture your heart, to realize that whatever you're facing, that Jesus Christ desires to give you this kind of hope that cannot be matched with any other hope in this world. It will fall short compared to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. That's why, once again, when we go through life life feeling hopeless, Jesus gives us a hope that is matchless. I want to just give us a couple things to walk out of here to say, you know what, I want to consider thinking about applying this message into my life. The worst is you hear this message and you walk out of there and you continue to live with the worldly hope. There's some things you can do. It's a response to God. So here's some next steps. I want to I just, you, these are just suggestions. You can come up with other ones, but I want to give you some of these suggestions so that you can actually experience this kind of hope. Especially for those of you who are feeling hopeless right now. You're in a situation where it's just dire or it's out of your control. It's causing worry and anxiety. It's causing guilt and just feelings of wanting to give up. The first thing is this, remember God's faithfulness. That's something I do all the time when I'm feeling kind of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Or why did that situation come about? I always have to pause for a moment and just remember His faithfulness. I'm a little bit older than, just a little bit older than you. No, a lot more, but I'm older than a lot of you. And so that means that I have a lot of experiences that I've gone through, both good and bad. And one thing that I can testify here standing today is that everything that I went through in my life, in that moment, those difficult things were really hard. Man, they were hard. There were times I wanted to jump into the lake because I just, you know, it was that hard. Not that I was trying to come, I I just thought if I jumped in the lake, maybe the water would just cleanse me or just somehow do something magical or I'm going to walk on water. I, I mean, I was desperate. There were crazy times, things that I went through, things that I faced. 
And now looking back, I realize, man, but God has been faithful. He has loved me. He has watched over me. He has guided me. He has led me. So that's the power of remembering his past faithfulness. Spend some time doing that. And it will help you to have hope that if he didn't fail me back then, he's not going to fail me now. It builds trust in this great and awesome God. The second thing is this. Release control and trust God. Some of us have to stop playing God and let God be God. Just let go. Stop trying to manipulate. Start trying to talk to people. Try to figure this out. Say, God, I've done everything that I could. I'm, I'm going to trust in you. And if you want it done, you're going to get it done. That kind of trust will transform your life. So release that control over your life. But you don't understand my, my, my family. Well, what are you going to do? You can't change them. You can't change your heart. Only God can. Which then leads to my third thing. Rely on God through prayer. See, that's why when you know that people are praying, when you know that you're praying, it shows that you're trusting. A church that stops praying shows that it's no longer trusting in God, but they're trusting in themselves. And that church will start dying quickly. That's why you always got to be looking for people, community of people who are always praying. Are they praying? Because that shows you that they're dependent on God. They're relying upon God, not in themselves, not in their works. Even though they might be talented, they're saying, God, we know that only you can change hearts, you can change people. And the last thing is this, respond with faith. Respond with faith. You know, there will be times when God challenges us to step forward. And those are the times where it seems pretty scary because you don't know what's going to happen. But this is where, if you know who God is, you know how much he loves you you know that he's sovereign that he's good and you step out in faith say god it doesn't make sense but i'm going to trust in you you're going to see a whole world before you that you've never seen before you're going to see opportunities and open doors that you have never experienced before and i could testify to that because that's what god is doing not only in my life but in our church here is that when you step out in faith God is pleased with that because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Don't ever forget that. It is impossible to please God without faith. Because when you step out and do things in faith, you're saying, God, you're awesome. You're great. Because if anything good happens and they see it because you did it, where will the credit go? To you. But when you step out in faith and trust in Him and point everything back to Him, people will say, you have an awesome God who is doing some awesome things. I want to close with this short video and this is going to remind us the importance of having hope. See, the power of hope is this. You do things now because you believe something will happen in the future. That's the power of hope. The reason why we feel hopeless is we don't see the future and that's why we don't want to do anything and we get into the cycle and we get depressed, anxious, and we're just like, you know what, I, I, I give up. But don't lose hope. Not because you're trying to build this confidence on your own, but this hope comes from what Jesus has said and what we know to be true about Him. That even in our future, we might not know, but it will cause us to live our lives in the present. And so this video, there's really no words to this. It's just visual so you can actually see it. It's about a person, a grandfather, who does something because they have this tremendous, he has this tremendous hope that one day that he will be able to do something that he has always longed to do. So let's watch this together. 
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.